Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Beautiful. Well, good morning to all of you. And it is good to see you all here to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Love came down to rescue us. That is something to celebrate. And isn't that what Christmas is all about? Yes? <laughs> we celebrate what John 3:16 through 17 tells us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There is no greater love than this. The word loved in this passage of scripture is the highest form of love there is. It's translated from a Greek word agape. Agape love is the kind of love that extends beyond emotions. It extends beyond feelings. And it is so different than the word love in our society today. Love in our culture, for the most part, has taken on the meaning of a strong emotion or a feeling of affection toward something, toward someone. A woman may say, I love those shoes. I just, (laughs) I'm a jewelry girl, okay? (laughs) Love those shoes. I just have to have a pair of them. A child may say, I love Xbox. I really would love to get one for Christmas, Mom. A man may say, I don't know, men, what would you say? (laughs) A car? (laughs) I love to watch football. Okay, that wouldn't be my thing. I love to watch football. Add the Doritos, heaven on earth, right? I'd love to spend a Saturday afternoon doing that. A young couple may say, it was love at first sight. How many times have we heard that? He made me feel so tingly. My grandma called that chemistry. Now chemistry may help to get the relationship started, but chemistry should not be confused with agape love. Agape love, it's not a feeling. Agape love demonstrates love through action, and its intent is for the highest good of another. It is selfless love, sacrificial love. It is not a self-focused feeling. And its source is God, God whose very nature is love. Agape love flows from God, and it defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. And that's all of us. It is this kind of love that sent Jesus Christ into the world that first Christmas to save all who would believe in him. This idea of being saved can sometimes rub people the wrong way, can it? I heard a yes. (laughs) If you walk up to someone and say, are you saved? They can get pretty annoyed, huh? I'm hearing Steve Malik laugh over here. (laughs) Sometimes 
that word saved, it gets under people's skin. Some may say, save, what do I need to be saved for? I'm not in any trouble. When we look to the word of God, it is clear what we need to be saved from and why Jesus Christ came into this world. When Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, learned that Mary was pregnant, he was going to call the marriage off. He thought that Mary had been unfaithful. But the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream. Let's read what Matthew 1, 20 through 21 says. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means salvation, deliverance, rescue. Jesus Christ came into this world to save us from our sins. That's why he came. And that is Christmas. Love came down to rescue us. But as we look around the world today, we really don't see that Christmas is much about the love of our Savior at all. For those who don't believe, we may find that Christmas is all about the gifts, the shopping, the decorations, the party, parties, food, cookies, my fave, lights. Sometimes it's about that unsaid competition between neighbors. Whose house has the best light display? You, you can see that when that's going on in a neighborhood, can't you? This is kind of a side story, but we would definitely not win that in our neighborhood, and I take full responsibility for that. <laughs> you see my house, huh? <laughs> about a month ago, Pastor Pat and I, we're at Lowe's, and I saw this light display, over 50% off. So I love a deal. So I was like looking at these lights, and I thought this could really work out well for Christmas. It was one of those little gadgets you stick in the ground, and it displays lights up in the trees or the house or wherever it is you aim it. But I thought, okay, let's get this, and then it can avoid... Pat stringing all those lights around our windows and trees and that. So we got it. A couple weeks later, he put it in the ground, and I think it was must have been daylight at the time, and I kind of forgot about it. Well, last week, our girls were over, and they were helping us decorate the Christmas tree, and the Christmas season was starting. They leave, and... I could hear one of them in our driveway because I was near the window, but I wasn't outside with them. And I heard one say, the house looks like Halloween. <laughs> this happened. You can ask her. It was Emily. <laughs> and I'm listening to that thinking, what is she talking about? And then I kind of ignored it, went uh, finishing up my work, and then 
Not that long ago, a few days ago, I'm coming home late at night, it's dark, and I'm driving down our street, and the way our house is situated on our street, it's at the very end of our long street because it's on the curve. So you turn off the main road, and you're looking right at our house. Everyone is. And I'm driving down the street, and I'm seeing, what in the world is this? Halloween. Our house looked like Halloween. This is how we witness to our neighbors, right? The pastor's house starts Christmas, they decorate for Halloween. I don't even decorate for Halloween. 50% off for a reason. (laughs) So you know what Pastor Pat's going to be doing later this afternoon? Stringing lights on our trees. (laughs) Okay, I digress. I do enjoy the fun and festive things of Christmas season. If you know me, I love a party. I love looking at decorations. I love looking at lights, as long as I'm not putting them up. And I do want to take this opportunity to thank all of you ladies who decorated the church this season. Thank you. We appreciate you so, so much. It's a lot of work. And it is beautiful. In the church, we know that we can enjoy the festive things of the season, but we also know that these things aren't the meaning of Christmas. The sad thing is, for the most part, these things really have become the focus and meaning of Christmas in the world around us. Jesus Christ has been crossed out of Christmas. He has been dismissed. He's the whole reason for the Christmas in the first place. Yeah, the world has put that big X through Christ. But you know what I really appreciate? What we heard last week. And if you weren't here, it was really good, so you're going to want to watch it on, online. But last week we heard from Pastor Pat that that X that we see in Xmas isn't an X at all, and it never was. It is the Greek symbol for Chi, and Chi is short for Christos, which means Christ. So when people write Xmas, they're actually writing Christmas. They just don't know it. Because Jesus will always win. Amen. Yes. He will always win. You can't get rid of Jesus. People have been trying to get rid of Christ since the time he came into the world. But no matter how much the world wants to take Christ out of Christmas, you can't. Because the very meaning of Christmas is the celebration of Christ. Christ is Messiah. Christ is Deliverer. Christ is Redeemer. Christ is Rescuer. Christ as Savior. We celebrate Christmas because love came down to save us, to deliver us from our sins. And why? Why do we need to be saved from our sins? The Word of God tells us sin separates us from God forever and ever. That is the truth of his Word. Only by faith in the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ can we have eternal life. Jesus was born to go to that cross. He was born to pay for our sins. That is love in the purest of form. So why? Why is it so easy for the world to cross Christ out of Christmas, X him out? There's a number of reasons for that, 
but one that I see often in talking to people, people don't celebrate or appreciate the birth of Christ because his birth is meaningless. It's insignificant to those who don't see themselves as a sinner separated from God forever. And if we don't see ourselves that way, then we don't need a savior. We don't need Jesus. So it's easy to X out his love. Does a person who's in terrible danger see their need to be rescued if they don't know they're in danger? Let's think of someone who's in their home. They're relaxing in their comfy reclining chair. They're munching on their favorite snack. They're enjoying an action-packed movie. Pick your favorite. Life is good, right? Little do they know, their furnace went on the fritz and their house is filling up with carbon monoxide. The batteries in their detector are dead and it is just a matter of time before they take their very last breath never to wake up again. They had no idea that they needed to be rescued. They thought life was good. The people who don't see Christ in Christmas, who only see that X, need to know why Jesus was born. And shouldn't we tell them? Yes. That's why we're going to go caroling. We're going to touch our neighborhood for Jesus Christ. Some may say, I don't need to be saved from sin. I'm a good person. I don't steal. I don't murder. I don't even use bad language. In fact, I do so many good things for people. I'm not a sinner. But what does God say about that? His word says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's Romans 3.23. We all need to be saved from sin. That is why Jesus was born. He was born to die. Sin is so serious to God that he would send his only son into this world to be sacrificed on a cross, to die a horrific death, to pay for our sins. And he did it so that we could spend eternity with him. And that is the agape love of God. God's love has always sought to have an everlasting relationship with his people. We see this kind of love in the story of Hosea and Gomer. The name Hosea means salvation. Please read with me from Hosea chapter 1 to three. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer. You may be wondering, why am I going to this story for a Christmas message? Bear with me. When we look at this passage of scripture initially, we may say, what in the world? Why would God command a man to marry a promiscuous woman? And at that time, she would have been a prostitute. It may seem very strange that God told Hosea, who was a godly man, to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him. But what we need to understand is that Hosea 
was a prophet of God. And the Lord often required his prophets to carry out very um, difficult, even humiliating tasks to demonstrate a message that God wanted to send to the people. For example, Ezekiel had to lay on his side for 390 days to represent the 390 years that Israel sinned. And the prophet Isaiah, he had to preach barefooted naked as a sign and warning of captivity to come. We can be glad that God has not called us to be a prophet of the Old Testament, can't we? <laughs> Some people have a problem if we're asking them to serve in the church. <laughs> None of you, right? God called his prophets to do strange and hard things, to send a vivid message to his people. Hosea's marriage to Gomer and her way of prostitution would be an illustration of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. God loved Israel. They were his covenant people under the old covenant. He took care of them. He blessed them. He was faithful to them. He established them as a people. He set them free from slavery in Egypt. In return, God looked for their faithfulness. He looked for their love. He looked for their devotion back to him. He looked for the same things that he looks for in his covenant people today. At communion, we heard that we are part of that new an everlasting covenant in his blood, all who believe and live for him. Deuteronomy 7, 9 speaks of God's love for his people. It says, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. I should say that again. For those who love him and keep his commandments. God had shown his love to Israel over and over, but they didn't keep his commandments. They didn't love him back. They turned to other gods. They brought their offerings to pagan altars. They joined in sinful worship practices. They didn't acknowledge God as their source of blessing, and they turned to idol worship. They turned their affection, they turned their hearts to things created by man, rather than turning their hearts to the one who was the creator of all, the one that held their life in his hand. Sounds like the world we live in today, doesn't it? God saw this as a spirit of prostitution, adultery, and unfaithfulness to him. God was a husband to Israel. In scripture, God's relationship with his people is portrayed as a marriage. Hosea's marriage to Gomer and her adultery would be a stark picture, a message to the people of their unfaithfulness to God. Hosea loved Gomer. She was his wife. He blessed her. He was faithful to her. There is no doubt that his heart was full of anguish, knowing that his wife was seeking outside of the marriage. This picture shows us how God feels when we long to put anyone or anything in the place that God wants to hold in our hearts. Or when we turn away from doing what we know is pleasing to God, what we know is his will according to his word. Hosea could deliver God's message with empathy. 
He could deliver God's message with feeling and the heart of God because Hosea knew firsthand what it felt like to have his wife be unfaithful. And Hosea delivered God's messages of judgment, chastisement, and warnings of what would happen to them if they didn't turn from their sinful ways, turn from their idols, and turn towards God. But Hosea also delivered the message of God's love, urging the people to come to repentance. Without repentance, there would be no restoration, no reconciliation, and ultimately, no blessing. And that goes for the same for all of us today. Without repentance and faith towards God through Jesus Christ, no eternal blessing. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, God says this about his unfaithful wife. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen and my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. We see here a picture of God's chastisement in order to bring repentance. God chastises those he loves, not because he's mean like some may say, but out of love for his people, out of love for his bride. He doesn't want anything to come between him and his beloved. Scripture tells us that God is jealous for us. We may hear this word jealous and think, well, that's a bad thing. This kind of jealousy isn't like jealous like someone would be jealous if someone got a, a new and better car than them. God is jealous like a husband would be if his wife was strained or if another man was trying to lure his wife away. God's jealousy wants to protect the relationship. And because he's jealous for us and he loves us, he urges repentance in our life so that nothing could come between us and him. I remember a time in my life that I was going through a really, really hard thing. And I kept praying and praying, Lord, help me, help me, where are you? I need you to fix this. And as I was praying, I heard that still, small voice of his Holy Spirit. And I heard, my chastisement is perfect to accomplish what I will. And I knew at that moment what I was going through was because God was chastising me and bringing me to a closer relationship with him so that nothing could hinder my relationship with him. He was putting me back in line. Does it mean that every time we're going through a hard thing is God's chastisement? No. Things happen. God uses all kinds of things in our life to grow us and to mature us in him. But if it's chastisement, we need to know it so that we can change our ways. So we need to get before the Lord and ask him, 
show me if there's anything in my life that isn't pleasing to you, God. And he will be faithful to show us. After Gomer seeks fulfillment outside of the marriage covenant, which again is a picture of God and his people, it seems that she finds herself in the position of being owned by another. She becomes the property of one of her lovers. The scripture isn't real clear about how this happened, but that's where she winds up after seeking love in all the wrong places. But God shows his love, and he tells Hosea, go get her. We read in Hosea 3, 1 through 3. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Sacred raisin cakes were used in idol worship. Verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and a lethic of barley. Pause with me for a moment. Biblical scholars say that the total of the silver and grain combined was the total of 30 shekels. 30 shekels of silver was the price of a slave according to Exodus 21:32. So we can surmise that Hosea didn't have enough to pay the full price in silver, so he paid all he could, and then he paid the rest with the grain. After Hosea buys back his wife, verse 3 says, Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same toward you. In other words, Hosea says, Gomer, be faithful to me, and I will be faithful to you. That's the same thing that the Lord says to his covenant people today who look forward to that glorious eternal life. Gomer's life of sin led her to a very low place. All the things that she was chasing after, all the things that she thought would bring her excitement and happiness and contentment, only brought her to a place of bondage. She was enslaved because that's what sin in our life does. It will never, ever lead us to a place of blessing. Before Hosea showed up, we can imagine Gomer was hopeless. She was filled with despair, perhaps regret. I think the last person that she would expect to be looking to buy her would be the one that she was unfaithful to. But who shows up? Hosea, whose name means salvation. And out of love, he bought her back with all that he had. He bought back his own wife. Hosea is a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in some ways, we're all gomers. Maybe we don't have that background that Gomer did, but Scripture tells us we've all strayed. We've all turned to our own ways, and we're all slaves to sin. When Jesus found us, we were in no better shape than Gomer. We were sinners, separated from God, who needed a Savior. Romans 5.8, 
But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our Savior has come. He came over 2,000 years ago, and he is our Lord Jesus Christ. He was born to die on that cross to save us from our sins. And there is no, no greater love than this. This is the love that we see in Christmas. This is also the same love that the world wants to X out because too many are looking to feel love in the things of this world, chasing after things that will lead them to a dark place and missing the greatest love of all, the agape love of a Savior. This says, I would give everything for you. I would sacrifice my life on a cross for you. I would pay whatever it takes to have a relationship with you forever and ever. Be faithful to me, and I will be faithful to you. That is his promise. There will be a day when we see his face in all of his glory. He will give eternal life to all of us who believe in him, who are faithful to him. Eternal life will be beyond anything, anything we can imagine. There is nothing in this world that we could ever long for, ever chase after, that ever could compare to what God has for those who are faithful to him and who love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us, No eye has seen no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived or imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's the reward for the faithful ones. See Christ in Christmas and love him back. <laughs>